Good morning, LifePoint. Is everybody doing today? Awesome. Glad you're here. Welcome. If you're new and visiting for the very first time, we'd love to connect with you. If you wouldn't mind just texting the word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314. We promise not to bombard you with all kinds of information, but church is all about relationships, right? A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and a relationship with each other, and that's just one way for you to kind of get started with us, but love to get to know you just a little bit. Uh, if you uh, were part of our Be the Church Saturday event uh, yesterday, I was going to say last week, but it was actually yesterday, uh, thank you so very much. Every year we have one or two of these events that we call Be the Church, and we go into our community, we serve, and uh, just have a great partnership with our school district here in East Helena, and we were able to pick some rocks out of a field so that they can prep it and uh, lay sod or plant seed, whatever, uh, for grass for the kids, and so we did that on Saturday and uh, just had a great time. It was fun. like, can you have fun picking rocks? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, it was a blast. It was so much fun to hang out together and, and just do this project and just be able to bless our community and work alongside the principal of the school uh, and some of the teachers. And so thank you guys for, uh, for being part of that. Uh, we look forward to future events like that uh, that you can be involved with, uh, with, with that as well. So super excited about that. If you have a Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 15 with me this morning. Proverbs chapter 15. If you don't have the scriptures, we'll have it up on the screen for you to follow along with us as well this morning. Uh, but I want to start by asking a question, and it's probably a question you've probably asked yourself uh, probably several times in life is, uh, what would I do with a million dollars, right? What would I do with a million dollars? What would I do if I won a million dollars or, you know, somehow got a million dollars? How would I spend it? How would I use it? You know, would I gift it away? Would I bless other people? Would I, you know, buy something, whatever? That's a question I'm sure we've all thought about at some point in our lives. What would I do uh, if I actually had a million dollars? How would that change your life for better or for worse? And listen, that's a question that we ponder at times in our lives. And you probably asked yourself that question, like, what if I had more, right? What if I had X amount of dollars? That's a question we, we ponder and we ask ourselves because of this, we have as human beings, we have, I would say as Americans especially, we have this assumption in life, whether we're willing to admit it or not, that if we have more money, our lives will be better, knowing. If I just had more, my life would be better, right? If I just had a million dollars, if I just had these resources, if I just had whatever, and that might be your if-only statement if you were with us last Sunday. We talked about this idea of if-only, right? We have all these ideas in life. If only I had this, if only I had that. Maybe your if-only statement was like, if only I had a million dollars or more money, right? I think at some level, we all wish we had a little bit more right? If we're honest, especially in the economy, right? Raise your hand if you're like, now I love paying $4.29 per gallon. It's awesome. If you're from like, you know, other, other states, you're paying more, you're like, I love paying $4.29 per gallon. I had to update that, that number throughout the week. It started out, it was like $4.19, and there was $4.20, and then it was $4.29. It's probably $4.34 when you leave here from church, just, just on a positive note to make you feel really good, right? But nobody likes that, right? Nobody likes paying more. Like, who likes paying more for groceries, for lumber, for housing, for electronics? Like, no one, right? But our tendency in the midst of those thoughts and those challenges is to think this, I need more, right? I need more. Uh, I need more in order to be ahead of the curve. I need more to be happy. I need more to be satisfied. I need more money to be safe in this life. I need more, right? Everyone can relate to that, I think, on some level this morning. I read something really interesting this week that I wanna, I wanna read to you, I wanna share it with you. Just listen, I don't have it on the screen because I want you to listen to it, but he said this, this person said this, I've been concerned in recent days over the many things that are going on in our world. And you probably can say the same thing, like, man, I'm concerned, 
right, about what's happening in our nation, or I'm concerned about what's happening in our world. And so you can probably relate uh, to what he just said. And he says, and one of the things that has continued to be in the newspaper is the study of inflation. Sounds very familiar, right? The study of inflation. Uh, what has been in the news recently is the, the problems of economics, the problems of supplying food for the future, the problems uh, dealing with gasoline, and the rising problems of fuel costs, right? Nothing really out of the ordinary, right? Because we read this stuff all the time, we see it in the headlines, we open the newspaper and we hear all of these similar things. And so you might say, why is that interesting this morning, pastor? I read this every day. Well, it's interesting because of this. It was written on December 30th, 1973, right? And here's what I want you to know and understand today. Like money problems are not new problems. Right, like economic problems are not new problems uh, to our world, to our nation. They are common issues that historically we have faced, and here's a shocker for you this morning, we will continue to face in the future. It's just normal, it's just life. Uh, the economy and the struggles that we face uh, as Christians in a world that is so broken. And so here's the thing, we need to have a better understanding of finances. Right, I would go for, so far to say this, like we need to have a biblical understanding and perspective of our money, right? Raise your hand if you agree with that statement, right? We need to have a biblical understanding of our finances because if we don't, listen, we'll be tossed by the ups and downs of economy, right? We'll be tossed around by, by the, the challenges of inflation and the dollar and gasoline and groceries and housing and all of those kinds of things. And consequently, what will begin to happen is this, we'll live a life pursuing to have more rather than pursuing a life to know God more rather than pursuing a life to make Jesus the ultimate Lord and Savior and sovereign Lord of our lives. And so here's what we're going to focus on today in part number two of this sermon series we started last week. If you're new to LifePoint, we started a sermon series last week called Better Things. That we're looking at these phrases in the book of Proverbs, and we'll look at one in the book of Psalms as well, but they're everywhere. They're, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and you'll find it over and over and over again. What's better in life? What are the better things? If you're honest this morning, you would say, man, there's a lot of things that I do and pursue in life that are good, but they're not the best, right? I mean, that's so true. And so how do we live for the better things? And so last week we talked about this idea of wisdom, that we need better wisdom in order to live in a world that we live in today, right? We need better wisdom. And so today we're gonna talk about our finances. And, and all of you this morning are like, great, the finance talk, the money talk at church. Like, take a deep breath, it'll be okay, right? You'll get through it, right, this morning. But how do we have better finances? Every single person in this room would say, man, I want my finances to be better in some way, shape, or form. I want my 401k to be better. I want my retirement fund. I want, you know, whatever the case, my college fund for my kids. I want things to be better. And so how do I get there? Well, I want you to know this morning, this is going to be foundational to our understanding and having a biblical perspective about money a biblical perspective about what God brings into our lives and bring into, brings into our hands. And so here's our bottom line for this morning. One main thought we want you to key in on, and that is this, the way to better finances is understanding this, that God is the ultimate sovereign Lord of my life, and I'm accountable to him for everything. You would say, like, that doesn't seem like the better way to finance, Pastor, right? Like, give me something more practical, tangible in life. Well, I want you to know this is the way to understanding what God has given to us uh, in order to manage our finance. That God is the sovereign Lord of my life, and I'm accountable to him for everything that comes into my hands. God's sovereign. He's king. I'm not. He's my master. 
And we like to say these things in church because it's easy to say, yeah, he's sovereign Lord of my life, and it's easy to say that on a Sunday morning, but do we actually live our lives reflecting that reality in everything we touch, whether it's in our family, in our jobs, with the money that we have, and how we spend it, and what we do with it, does it reflect this heart and mindset that says he's the sovereign Lord of my life, and I'm accountable to him? for my time, my talents, and my resource. Some of you here this morning are like, I already don't like this message, and so I'm gonna check out, right? Well, hang with me this morning, because here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you and I a biblical perspective about money. I wanna paint a picture this morning that helps us to understand some foundational things and some things that I think will be shocking to you at the end when it comes to money, because this is not gonna be your typical money talk, uh, about how we should view money, our perspective about what we have, whether it's great or whether it's less, how we should use what God has given us uh, in order to glorify him. How can we have better finances? Well, God has a lot to say about money. I don't know if you know this or not, the Bible has a lot to say about our finances and how we use what God has given us. And the reason for that is this, and it's very clear in Scripture, the reason that there's so much in the Bible that talks about money is that our heart follows what we treasure most in life. Isn't that true? Our heart follows our treasure. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? Whatever you're going to treasure in life, and it could be anything, and your heart's going to follow it, right? And, and what we treasure most in life, if you're a human being, right, is the treasures of the world, is the money that we can have and the things that, that, that come along with that. And so here's what happens. For a lot of people, for a lot of people, even Christians, listen, their treasure is this. Their treasure becomes their savings account. We take a lot of pride in, in what we accumulate in life and what we save, and we like, man, there's this mindset like, look at how I've saved, look at how I've prepared, and we, we find uh, uh, our treasure is our savings, our retirement fund, our nest egg, and often those people take a lot of pride in how much money is there, and it becomes, listen this, it's not a bad thing, it's a great thing to prepare and prepare for the future, but here's what can happen. That could become this security blanket in life. We put more trust in what's in the bank account than the trust we put in the Lord. You follow what I'm saying this morning? The danger, if we're not careful, is that, 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 that our money becomes kind of the sovereign Lord of our lives instead of the creator of the universe. We can begin to trust more right, in our savings than in God. And I want you to know this morning, and you know this, that's a problem right? That we place something else, even the money that we possess. We would say, that is Lord. That drives everything. That's the treasure. That's the desire. That's what I live for. That's my passion. Instead of the Lord. And that's a problem. And so here's a question I want us to ponder as we dive into this uh, wonderful, controversial talk about money this morning is this, is do you find more security in your money or do you find it in God? What a sobering thought and question for us to ask. Do we find more security in our money or in God? Do you find more peace, more safety in the nest egg that you've accumulated or the one ultimate savior? How you answer, listen, that question today will really determine how you view God. How you answer that question will really determine how you view a lot of things in life. Uh, and so money matters because it reveals our heart, does it not? 
It reveals our heart, where we put our allegiance, where we place our priorities for living. And again, the Bible has a lot to say, so much to say that in 30 minutes, I won't have time to cover it all. So this won't be exhaustive this morning, but I do want to give you some principles that I think will help us think biblically about our money. And so we're going to start in Proverbs. We're going to start in Proverbs, and we're going to work our way through some other passages of Scripture. And so this is going to be less expository. Those of you who are familiar with LifePoint, we're usually like in a passage, and we walk through that passage. Uh, But today's going to be a little bit different. We're going to be a little more topical today. Uh, But we're going to start in Proverbs 15. And this is going to act as kind of a platform for us. uh, And we'll start with this, and we'll kind of come back to it towards the end. But this is Solomon. Solomon, the wisest person, listen, probably the wealthiest person in all the world, especially at that time, had a lot of good things to say. And he had some wonderful things to say about money and our pursuit of money and our perspective about money. So notice what he says in chapter 15 in verse 16. Again, it's on the screen for you to see as well. Verse 16, better, there's our better statement, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than this great treasure in trouble with it. I want you to underline that word trouble because we're going to come back to it because most of us would say like, oh, like give me the money, man. It's not going to bring trouble in my life, right? Like, you know, I'll test that. I'll challenge that, you know, that idea in life. But we're introduced here to another better statement in Proverbs, better things, better pursuits, what's better in life. And Solomon says, look, what's better in life for everyone is to have a little if you have the fear of the Lord. It's better to have a little bit in life if you have the fear of the Lord than to have lots of money, lots of wealth, lots of riches with lots of trouble. Lots of trouble. And I think for a lot of people, at least for me, the tendency is to read that first phrase and to think this, I don't want to live life with little. Do you? Like nobody you know, wakes up Monday morning like, let's just sell it all, right? I don't want to have anything in life. Well, I mean, that kind of sounds appealing if it's a cabin in the woods and, you know, self-sustaining, solar panels, blah, 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 off-grid living. That happens in Montana, right? We know that happens in Montana, right? That might be appealing to you, but most of us would say, I don't want to live with little. I don't, I don't want to be impoverished. I don't want to live pay t- paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to live with little. We typically fear that kind of lifestyle. And so before we get all self-righteous and say, oh no, I'm not that way, right? That's not me, I'm not that way. Let me just ask us to consider a few things. How much time, think about this, how much time do you spend, do we spend thinking about what we have in our bank account? How much time do we spend thinking about our finances? How much time do we spend thinking about how we can make more? If I could just make a little bit more, how can I make more? How can I do more to make more? How much energy do we spend day in and day out pursuing what? The almighty dollar. If we're honest, right? If we're honest, we spend a lot of time thinking about pursuit, the pursuit of more. How can I make more, save more so I can have more, right? And and so this really comes down to this. What do I fear most in life? Right? Do I fear this idea of having little and that's going to drive me? Or do I really fear the Lord? Do I have this awe and this reverence for him? And we'll define what that means here in just a little bit. But who do I really serve and what do I really fear? Jesus would say this in Matthew 6, 24, a very uh, familiar passage, I suppose, to many people. You can't serve two masters in any way, shape, or form. Right? You can't serve two masters for either you'll hate the one or love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Nobody can right? And so if you don't understand and you don't accept that God is the ultimate sovereign Lord of your life and that you're accountable to him, listen, even in the area of your finances, you'll likely replace that sovereignty, that leadership, that, that lordship with something else. And if you're anything like every other human being in the world, 
You'll put money there, right? You'll put money there. And so Solomon flips the script on money and on treasures. Real treasure, he says, is fearing. Real treasure is reverencing. Real treasure is honoring God most in your life that you would say, he is the ultimate authority, that I fear him most. And I'd rather have a little in life with the fear of the Lord than have everything in life and all kinds of trouble. And so it's better, it's better. And so I wanna give you some principles to write down to consider this morning. The first few are gonna be kind of introductory. They might be very familiar to you. Uh, that are these overarching principles about money and how to manage it. Um, and then we're going to talk about some practical things at the very end. I'm going to give you two very practical things that I think will help us very, very much uh, today. But here's the first one that we're going to talk about, and that is, is that money isn't evil. Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Money isn't evil, right? Let's get that out of the way this morning. Here's like this common belief, I think especially in Christian circles, is that we think money is somehow evil. Right, that it's wrong to maybe have money, and God never said money was evil, but that loving money is evil, right? Like if you put your heart and your desire into money, that's 1 Timothy 6 in verse 10, for the love of money is the what? It's the root of all kinds of evils, right? And so it's not wrong to have money. Money isn't evil, but loving money, well, that's a different story. When you put your heart, and you crave, and you desire, and you want to be wealthy, you strive, like there's going to be a lot of a lot of evil that comes into your life, a lot of corruption, a lot of, a, a lot of jealousy and covetousness will come into your life. But there's two common areas uh, where Christians, I think, fall trapped. If you, don't, if you hear me say anything, you'll hear me say this all the time, use this word, it's the word balance. Like we struggle, don't we, as Christians living a balanced life? We often live in the extremes. One extreme, and, and I'll share these, these two thoughts with you, one extreme is this, is that we just mentioned it, we think money is some, somehow unholy, ungodly, or sinful to have, but it's wrong to have wealth. Like, oh, here comes the, you know, the money talk at church, and pastor's gonna say, you gotta sell all your stuff and give it to the church, right? Like, that's the, that's the holy life, is to live this kind of impoverished life, and God doesn't want you to have money, and so you gotta sell everything. If you wanna be close to him, you gotta live this monastical kind of life where you sell all your stuff. That's a common belief, but it's just not true, right? If you look at the scriptures and you look how many godly men and women in the scriptures, right, were wealthy and God didn't condemn them for it. God wasn't like, oh, hey, uh, Abraham, before we talk, dude, you got to like get rid of all your stuff, right? Uh, uh, Job, you're like, hey, you're too wealthy. We can't talk. Uh, that's not holy, right? Job was enormously wealthy, lost it all, got it all back twice as much. Uh, think about Solomon and David and Boaz even. Mary and Martha in the New Testament came from a wealthy family, and so did Joseph of Arimathea, wealthy people. It's not wrong to be wealthy, but it's, it's wrong to be a slave to your wealth, and all of those people in Scripture, right, they weren't perfect, right? But they understood, I'm not living for this. And so that's one extreme. Here's the other, other extreme, just so we kind of clarify these extremes in, in, in our lives. Uh, the, the other extreme is this, is that you're somehow more godly, more blessed, more holy if you are wealthy, right? Have you heard this before? Uh, this idea is the other side of the, the, the spectrum. It's the idea that says really, and it's popular in Christian culture today, believe it or not, the belief that says this, God just wants you to be rich, right? Like, God wants you to have all these blessings and all these riches, materially speaking, that God wants you to have, you know, uh, six-figure income, all, the, all, all of those kinds of things. But we don't find that in the Bible, the prosperity gospel. It's not true. But what we do find in the scriptures is this. And, and I, want you to, I want you to really lean into this, okay? Proverbs chapter 23 and verses four through five, black and white. This isn't like a gray area, okay? Verse number four, Solomon says this, 
do not toil. Your Bible, it might say strive. Do not toil, do not strive to what? Acquire wealth. Do not strive, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. And when your eyes light on it, eyes light on what? The treasure, the wealth, the riches, the money. Guess what? When you put your eyes on it, when you put your heart on it, guess what? It's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Some of you are like, oh man, I know what that's like, right? I know what that's like. I lost everything. Maybe your retirement, right? And 401k is kind of tanking or whatever the case might be. We know what it's like maybe to lose everything, but this is so interesting, so helpful, I think, for us today, especially in the United States. The psalm would say, don't spend your life, don't waste your days striving to acquire wealth. There it is right there. And I love what he says next. Notice what he says next. He says, be discerning enough to desist. I love this because Solomon, I think, is saying, like, you ought to know you, and you ought to know your heart, and you ought to know. For some people, it, it's like, it's different. It's not the same for everyone, right? For some people, like, Solomon's like, you ought to know your limits. You ought to know when all of a sudden this money, this thing you're pursuing, this wealth that you're striving for becomes the thing that you're worshiping in life. You ought to know when to say, time out. My heart is running hard after wealth. My heart is running after all of these things that I can have in life. You ought to say, time out, heart, right? Time out and, 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 and begin to pursue and get things in the proper order. Be, be discerning enough to know when you're beginning to place your wealth as the ultimate goal and purpose of your life. Listen, if you do that, if you, if you place wealth in that place, or if you, you pursue that, listen, it's going to bring you lots and lots and lots of trouble. And we'll talk about that uh, here towards the end. But Solomon can speak from experience. He had a lot of stuff, right? And he knew what it was like to, to, to lose it, money, wealth, and treasures. He had it all. And he knew it was all temporary, and it could all be gone in just a moment. Don't put your heart and don't put your pursuits in money. Money isn't evil, but it's how you perceive it, right? Let me give you one just more example. Proverbs 28 and verse 20, it says this. It says, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. There's a lot of trouble that comes along with money in pursuing money. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit, but don't make money the pursuit of your life. Don't make it the thing you, you live for uh, in life, and so money isn't evil. It's how we perceive it, right? That's what I first want you to understand, and that's really foundational, right? That's foundational, and so here's a question. Do you love your money more than God, right? Simple. Do I love my money more than I love the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a sobering question we need to ask. Here's the second thing, and that is this, and I, this is probably a little, I don't know, maybe like a little controversial. We'll see. Uh, God owns all your money, not just a percentage, right? God owns all your money, not just a percentage. Some of you are already like, I'm very uncomfortable right now. You're making me uncomfortable, right? But this is something, I, I want you to know, I believe this for a long time, that I actually don't believe it anymore, that God owns only 10% of my income and 90% is mine. Here's the problem with that, right? 10%, like the whole concept of 10% is a biblical concept. It's actually, if you study it out in the history, you find that it was a temple tax that was given to the temple, but it was given in order to fund the nation before they had a king. And so very, uh, very much so this kind of idea of a tax, there's biblical principles that we can apply to it in our giving as well. But here's what I don't like about it. God, you can have 10%, but you keep your hands off the 90 God, you can have 10% all day, but the rest of it, oh, no, 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 it's mine, and you can't have it. You see, if God is really sovereign, if we really believe that he's a sovereign Lord and he owns everything, right, if we really believe that, 
he's not just sovereign over 10, he's sovereign over 100%, right? And we'll flesh this out here in just a little bit. And so, so it's so important for us to understand God owns everything. And Solomon's like, dude, it's better. If you got a little, you're way better off than the rich guy who doesn't have the fear of the Lord, who doesn't reverence God, who doesn't have this understanding that he's the ultimate sovereign Lord. You're better off than that dude because there's a lot of trouble that's going to come in his life, I guarantee you. And so better is a little with the fear of the Lord. So what does that mean? Let me just give you an easy, easy definition. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means simply this, the one authority in my life is the Lord. The one authority in my life is the Lord. The one I answer to, the one I fear the most, I am afraid. Some people say, like, oh, we shouldn't be afraid of God. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you should. Every time you see God, the epiphany of God, the, the moments where God met man, the moments like go to Revelation and read Revelation 1 through 3 and John's description of the risen, glorified Son of God, Jesus Christ, what happens the moment he sees him? He falls dead on his face. He wasn't dead, but he fell on his face as a dead man before the living Savior. We ought to have this, this awe, yes, this reverence, this honor, but a natural fear of the creator of the universe. We ought to have a natural fear of him. But it says this, he's the authority. He's the one I submit to in life. He's the one, listen to this, that I love the most and the one I aim to please the most in life. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And so how I spend my time, my talents, my money is directly impacted, is it not, by that one principle. We spent a lot of time on that, but I don't want to belabor that point. But let me just show you this perspective. God owns everything. God owns all your money, not just 10%. God owns everything, right? Uh, where does that come from? Well, here's just a few examples. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, the earth is who? The Lord's. It's his. And the fullness thereof, everything in it is God's, right? And the world and those who dwell therein, everything is God's. We understand that maybe on a, you know, just a, a, a big picture kind of mindset, but how does it apply to my life, right? Let me give you an example that's a little more practical. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He, he says this, Paul says this to these Christians in Corinth, right? He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? The moment you say yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for you, was buried for you, rose again, you're like, I want that, I want that gift, what happens? Holy Spirit comes and makes his abode within you. See, this, this building is not magical. Like, God doesn't dwell here at night and, like, come out, you know, at certain times, right? Like, this building isn't, it's just a building, right? You are the temple of God, and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. That's a whole other message, but you're the temple of God, whom you have from who? From God. And he says this, and we don't like this, you are not your own. You are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. What was the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you so that you could be his. So glorify God in your body. We don't like that. We struggle with that, right? But if you're redeemed, you're a child of God, you've been bought. And you're not your own, you're his. And we say amen to that, right? In church, right? But do we actually believe through our actions and how we spend our money and what we do with our time and all of these things, do we live out as if this was a reality? I, my life is not my own. It is the Lord's right? It is the Lord's. Listen to what David said. David was a king in Israel. Actually, he was the second king of Israel, and he was described in the Bible as a lover of God, a lover of God. Made a lot of mistakes. You want to see somebody who made some mistakes? Man, David made mistakes, but he was a lover of God. Look at what he said in First Corinthians, or Chronicles, excuse me, First Chronicles chapter 29 in verses 10 through 12. He said this. It says this, therefore, David blessed the Lord 
in the presence of all the assembly. Meaning this, he's like giving a speech in front of all the nation of Israel, right? Uh, and, and he said this, and David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. And then notice this verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth. It's yours, not mine. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all, both riches and honor. They come from you. And David had a lot of riches. He had a lot of honor. He had the title. And he said, God, it comes from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Did you hear what he said? You're the sovereign Lord, and you own it all. And everything good in my life and everything bad, everything that I've experienced, God, you're sovereign over all of it and I give you honor, and I give you praise. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that applies to your life? Do you believe that it applies to your finances? Right, this is where the rubber meets the road. You see, what the Bible teaches is that God is the owner of everything, not us. I'm not the owner, right? God is, but that he entrusts us to manage, and this is the beautiful thing, he entrusts you and I to manage what is his for his glory in his purposes, which leads us really to this next point. Money isn't evil, right? Loving money is. God owns it all, not just percentage. And here's the third thing. We're managers and stewards of all that is God's. Simple stuff, but important to remind ourselves of, right? We're, we're managers. The concept of stewardship in the Bible is such a rich and beautiful picture that God says, all of it's mine, but I'm going to entrust what is mine to you to manage and to steward for my honor and for my glory all is God's, right? And we're managers of the 100%. We recognize, we are to recognize that all of it comes from God. We're just entrusted with it. So we have this mindset, no, it's mine, God. And maybe I'll let you have some of it, but God, it's really mine. And God's like, ah, let me flip that around. It's actually mine, and I give it to you, and I entrust it to you, and I bless you, and I gift you. All good things come down from who? From the Father of lights. And we say, man, God, because it's all yours, and because I recognize it comes from you, I want to manage well what you've given to me and what has been entrusted to me. Did you know that we've been entrusted with a stewardship to steward the world for God's glory? Go all the way back to Genesis. Let's look there real quick. Genesis chapter 1. Where does this concept of stewardship come from? Genesis, in the very beginning, this is how God set it up, set it in motion for us to live this kind of way. It says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. You were made in the image and likeness of God. Beautiful. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. And notice this, and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Everything is God's, but he's given you and I the responsibility to manage and to steward what he has given to us. Notice what this uh, commentator said. I think it's on the screen. I think I put it up there. Although God gives us all things richly to enjoy, and we'll come back to that. God actually gives us all things in life to enjoy. And that's a wonderful concept we'll, we'll, we'll end with here in just a moment. But he says, nothing's ours. Nothing really belongs to us. God owns everything. We're responsible for how we treat it and what we do with it. We have been given a stewardship from God. He is the owner. We're the manager. Simple, right? We need to understand that. And the next thing is this, number four, is that we're accountable for what we manage, right? We are actually accountable for what we manage and what God has given to us. This, I don't think, requires a whole lot of explanation. You guys know this and probably understand this, that we're accountable to God for everything. We're accountable uh, specifically here in, in, in light of what we're talking about. We're accountable to God for how we manage the money even that God gives us. 
And let me just remind you this morning, the money that you're like, well, I worked hard for, for the money that I have. I worked hard and, you know, I went to school and, and I got the degree and I got the talents. Let me just remind you and I this morning that all of that comes from God, not you. Your personality, your skills, your abilities, some of you have amazing intellect and abilities to do the things that you, you do. And it's amazing because where that comes from, it comes from God. It, it came from him. And so all of those things, the money that you earn because of those things, guess what? God has given them to you. And we are responsible to manage them. And God one day will stand before him and he'll say, what did you do with what I put in your hand? What did you do with the things that I gave you responsibility for? Some, some of you, God has given great responsibility. Some of, some of you, God has given little responsibility. It doesn't matter how much or how little. It matters how we manage it because we'll stand accountable to God one day for it, right? Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, how could we not go there, right? So then each of us will what? Give an account of himself to God. That for us as Christians, we'll stand accountable to God, right? Ecclesiastes 11.9, I love this. Solomon says this, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Some of you older people are like, yeah, I remember what it was like to think back then and rejoice in, in my youth and the things that I could do. And Solomon's like, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Like you can live however you want, but know you'll stand before God, Right? So we're all going to stand before him. We're, we're all going to stand and give an account for how we use the things that God gave us, whether, whether we did it for selfish reasons or for, for God's reasons, right? So, well, let me just transition. Those are just these like overarching important principles, right, that are, that, are, uh, that are part of God's kingdom and part of finances. But let me just give you a few principles that I think are helpful. I'll give you two, some things that we can think about in order to kind of flesh this out and put some wheels on this this morning. And that is this, number five, is we need to constantly evaluate this, our desires for money. There's something we don't do very often, is look in the mirror and say, how do I view my money? How do I view my money? If, if it's really true that, you know, uh, my treasure, you know, follow, my heart follows the treasure, if that's really true in life, then why don't we ask the question, where's my desire for money? How do I view my money? What, what's what's the, the desire and the craving of my heart? Listen, money is something we constantly need to evaluate in our lives, just like our monthly budget. If you do that, right? You sit down and you make a budget. What's coming in? What's going out? How are we going to spend this money? Just like we do that, we ought to do a monthly budget of our heart and say, where's my desire? And how's my craving for money? Because it can so easily take the place of God in my life. There's a lot of danger there. There's a lot of danger in pursuing money, and so we get to evaluate our heart. Some of you are like, oh, it's not dangerous. Give me the million dollars. I'll try it out, right? Like, I'll test that. There's no danger here. Let me give you a few examples. Back to Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 16, because Solomon sets this up here. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure, and say it with me, and trouble with it, right? Trouble with it. You see, like, there's trouble with money and having more. I can tell you this, like, uh, there were times, I remember in, in our lives, a young youth pastor and not making a lot and, and all those kinds of things was like, oh, we got like $2.18 to our account, um, but we got food and we're provided for. But like, life was less complicated, was it not? Then, when you didn't have any kids, you didn't have college to pay for, and you didn't have all these, you know, things that are pressing, the more you get and the more you accumulate, the more stress and anxiety that comes into your life and you're just like, oh man, all this trouble, right? All this trouble, trouble. 1 Timothy, we're going we're gonna to go there and we're going to kind of end in this, uh, in this chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, because Paul says something really important 
to those of us that strive for wealth. Our desire is for that. And I want you to see this this morning. In chapter 6 and verses 9 through 10, it says, but those who desire, there's that word again, those who desire, the desire of their hearts to be wealthy, I want more, I want to have more, I want to have things. Those who desire to be rich, this is what happens. They fall into temptation. Not they might fall, or it's typically like, you know, 75% of rich people. It wasn't like some like Barna study. It was like, no, they will fall into temptation. They will fall into a snare. They will fall into many senseless, listen to this, and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Yay, <laughs> right? Sounds great. For the love of money, verse 10, is a root. It's a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving. There's that word, that desire, this craving to have more, right? It's through that that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You gotta check your heart, <laughs> right? You gotta examine your heart and evaluate your desires in life because Paul says there's a lot of danger in wealth. How many stories have you heard Right? How many stories have you heard of people winning the lottery and saying this, it ruined my life and my family? Countless. Right? And we read those stories and we think, oh, not me. Or like, not me. It wouldn't happen to me. Right? But there's a biblical principle that says there's a lot of trouble. We've got to check our hearts and examine our hearts. Right? Check your desires. If it's for money, it will only lead to trouble. Here's the last thing that I think is really practical and helpful, and that is this. We need to invest in the things that matter to God. How do, I, how do I have better finances? Again, do I go to the extremes? Do I sell it all? What do you tell me? Like, I got to give and I got to do all this stuff and get rid of and live this, you know, kind of life. How, how do I do this? We need to invest in the things that matter to God. We need to know what matters to God. We get so confused about the things that matter to God. We think it's like these like ultra spiritual, high, you know, kind of thing, high-minded things that we can't, you know, that aren't tangible and we can't really understand. Really, it's not. It's actually really practical. Let me give you just a few to think about this morning. What matters to God? Can I tell you this morning, your family matters to God. They, they, what matters to God is that you actually provide for your family. The, the scriptures say, like, like, if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infidel. You're worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than a person who, who doesn't care about God, who has no accountability to God, who says, it doesn't matter, I'll live however I want to live. If you don't provide for your own, you're worse than that person. Do so you think your family matters to God? You think providing for them matters to God? Absolutely, it does. Here's another one that I think is gonna shock you this morning. And that is this, is that, did you know that your enjoyment, it matters to God? Some of you hear that and you're just like, oh, it can't be. It just can't be, right? This is where we feel a lot of guilt when it comes to our spending. As somebody said, tell me this morning, like, oh, as soon as you started talking about finances, started thinking about my vacation and how guilty I felt because we're gonna take a vacation. Like, that's not of the Lord, Right? That mindset is not of the Lord. Right? If God has blessed you and given you the ability to do something, you should do it. But did you know that God has given us all things to enjoy? Check this out. Verse 17, same chapter. Verse, uh, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, hey, you guys, wealthy guys, right? Which we're all wealthy, we live in America, right? Charge them not to be haughty. Don't be prideful. Don't have an arrogance about it, right? Nor don't set your hope in the uncertainty of riches, but put your hope in God not your bank account, then notice this. Who richly, who's he talking about? He's talking about God, who richly provides us with everything to what? Say it with me. Enjoy. Isn't that a shocker? The guy would say, like, I want you to enjoy everything. 
that I want you to live an abundant life, that I want you to live a life that enjoys my creation. Why did God create this beautiful world? Is it not beautiful out there? Some of you are like, yeah, it is. It's really beautiful. Could you hurry it up, <laughs> right? It's going to be 74 today. I need to enjoy it, right? I get it, right? But God created a world of color and beauty. He didn't have to do that. But he did it because he wants us to enjoy even the simple things of creation, right? And so don't set your hope in riches, but understand this, this, there's this element of enjoying what God has given, and that applies to your finances, right? That applies to our finances. But again, balance. Like, what is the balance and what is the God you're serving, right? We get that out of order really, really quick. So notice, as, as uh, we get ready to close here, 1 Timothy 6, the next two verses, verses 18 through 19, what else matters to God? Your family, you, your enjoyment even matters to God. And then verse 18, they are to do good. Who are they? The rich. They are to do good. What matters to God? Doing good matters to God, right? They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. What matters to God? Good works, actually matters to God, right? What matters to God, they are to, to be generous and to be ready to share. Being generous with what you have in life and sharing with others matters to God. All of these things, good works, generosity, sharing, laying up treasures. Notice what he says next, that, that uh, the storing up treasure, that you can make an investment in eternity by saying, God, I wanna, I wanna use what you've given me. Guys, this applies to everything, not just your money, but your time and your talents, your family, your job. I want to use what I have in order to invest in the things that matter most to God. And God says, I want to richly bless you in eternity with all kinds of treasures. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. These are the things that matter to God. Do you know you could be rich in this life and poor in the next, depending on how you perceive God? You can be poor in this life and rich in the next, depending on how you perceive God. You can be rich in this life and you can be rich in the next if you are willing and I am willing to invest in the things that matter most to God. Amen? So many things we could talk about this morning. We're gonna close with that, but listen, you're never gonna have better finances unless you first understand this. It's foundational. It's foundational. God is my ultimate sovereign Lord and I'm accountable to him. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that? And that is, is that the cry of your heart? He is the, the ultimate sovereign Lord and I'm accountable to him this morning. I'm gonna invite our worship team back up as we get ready to close. Would you stand with me as they come this morning? God is my ultimate sovereign Lord and I'm accountable to him. Listen, how you use, how you use, how I use, the money that comes into my hand is really a reflection of what I believe about God, is it not? It's a reflection of my heart and what I truly believe about who God is. If he's really sovereign, I'm accountable to him. And, 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 and I have this mindset that says, God, whatever comes into my hand, I'm gonna use it for your kingdom, to bless my family, to bless my children, to bring joy into my family's life, the best that I can with what you've given me. You can do it with very little, actually, right? But I wanna use all of that to be generous. See, I, I love that it's not like the, the number is. No. You ought to live a generous life. right? You ought to live with an open hand. You ought to say, look, I don't have anything to give, but what I can give to you is a relationship, a friendship, a lending hand, a lending ear. I can give you what I have in Christ. You might not have a lot, but there's a lot we can give. We ought to live generously. And that is such an important foundational concept that we need to understand. Listen, if your heart is for God, you'll have an open hand with everything that you own. Rather than saying, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, you can't have it, God. 
And it doesn't matter if we're talking about your marriage. It doesn't matter if you're talking about your kids. It doesn't matter if you're talking about your grandkids. It doesn't matter if you're talking about your retirement fund. God just says, I want your heart, and your heart is revealed in your open hand, right? It's revealed in your open hand. Take a look at your desires. What can I do, Pastor? Take a look at your desires today. What is the craving of your heart? Man, it's so easy, is it not, to chase and pursue the almighty dollar and to say, this is the ultimate. It's not. It's fleeting. It'll sprout wings, dude, and fly away. It'll be gone. Make the Lord Jesus Christ your sovereign, your sovereign Lord and Savior. And watch how the desires of your heart begin to change. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Lord, this morning, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the practicality of it. We're so grateful for what you put into our hands. We recognize it all comes from you. It's not ours, it's yours. You're sovereign. We're managers, we're stewards. We're gonna stand accountable for how we use it, God. But Lord, help us to invest in the things that matter most. Help us to look into our heart and say, God, I don't wanna crave money. I wanna crave you. I wanna pursue you. I wanna desire you more than something that is so fleeting and so temporary. May it be so with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you worship one last time with us?